You are listening to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. We shine a light on topics that matter to digital and data leaders within the NHS. I'm Cassie Radley and I help connect digital leaders with interim talent and I am your host. The views expressed by guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official position or policy of their organisation. Thank you for joining me all today to discuss the importance of a CCIO within the NHS. Um, Before we start and delve into the topic, I'm going to just ask for some introductions. I'll start first. So as you know, my name is Katia. I work for Evolution on Team NHS and we are a CCS framework supplier. I work specifically with NHS organisations in the West Midlands. So, James, would you like to kick us off? Can you introduce yourself, please? Yeah, so I'm James Reid. I'm a, a consultant forensic psychiatrist in the NHS and I work in Birmingham for the Mental Health Trust there. And I've been the CCIO there since 2013, actually. Um, and then with another hat I wear is, is the uh, chair of the Digital Health CCIO Network. Fab. Yat, can you introduce yourself, please? Hi, yes, I'm Yat Wadley. I'm a consultant and anaesthetist working at the Royal Wolverhampton NHS Trust. I'm in an acting deputy CCIO role. Um, aside from that, I'm also an acting clinical safety officer. Um, in, in my sort of past, I was part of cohort one of the um, Topol Fellowship Programme, and I'm joining the cohort five of the NHS Digital Leadership Academy. Thanks, yeah. Uh, Max, can you go next, please? Uh, hi there. I'm Max Hodges. I'm a consultant anaesthetist by trade, but I'm also the chief clinical information officer for the Dudley Group. Uh, NHS Foundation Trust. Perfect. And Mike? Hi, so I'm uh, Michael Watts. I'm uh, an acute medicine doctor by background, uh, also worked with uh, Peterborough United as their academy doctor. I'm the associate CCIO for my local trust, Derby and Burton, uh, and I'm also a NHS England clinical entrepreneur. Brilliant. Thanks, everyone. So now that we are introduced, um, we're going to move on to the questions. So as usual, I'm going to work my way around the panel and ask each of you to pose your questions to the rest of the group with a little bit of context. Um, so James, please, can you kick us off? Uh, yes. So um, my, well, my question is about developing workforce and talent. So my interest in this, I suppose, to give some background is I've been around this world for quite a long time. And when it started, most of us sort of fell into this work almost accidentally. And yet now we're in a position where we've got this establishment, but we've got to think about the future, really. We can't carry on like that. So. How are we going to retain talent that people are interested and develop career pathways for aspiring digital leaders? Perfect. Um, So, Yat, I'm going to come to you first. Would you like to um, give your response? Thank you. Um, No, this this is a really sort of um, interesting and and interesting, very topical question, really, uh, as we sort of discussed prior to the beginning of this podcast. Um, I I think... um, I mean, it, it is really important to emphasise the role of digital within the way in which we practice modern medicine. Um, and certainly it, it's important to recognise that um, it's not just about technology, but it's about people. And, and obviously it, it's about um, understanding and, and retaining those people in order to deliver the, the new ways of working, as it were. Um, and obviously that, that requires recognition and it requires support in order to achieve that. And, and that support can come along in, in many sort of different ways that that can be time um, and that can be resource. And uh, I think it is quite important that it is recognised um, and that um, that th- those persons, that that talent is nurtured to achieve the goals, not just for now, but also for the future as well. Perfect. Thank you. Um, Mike, would you like to go next, please? Yeah, I mean, um, this is obviously a um, 
a, a topic that's very close to me, um, so much so I wrote a thesis about it. Um, I think retention of, of, of digital leaders is, uh, leaders in general, particularly junior doctors, being one myself, I've gone through this experience of imposter syndrome and we have to do better. Systemically, the system is flawed in terms of retaining talent. Um, you know, we are in a position where there is more and more exposure to the um, to industry and um, we need to give junior doctors, allied healthcare professionals, the breathing space to actually nurture their interests in clinical innovation, you know, digital health. And we don't do that. Um, you know, we have very little protected time. So I think it has to come from the system down into training programs and allowing for better education um, within uh, the curriculum for foundation training, not just being aware of how to utilize a clinical, uh, a digital system as a clinician, but actually, you know, how to spot problems within systems, pro spot problems day to day and how to do them. You know, we get forced to do quality improvement, but actually we should be able to quality improve things that we want to improve, you know, and that we found a, a pain point that, that impacts on us. So I think um, our approach to training and, and, and education um, has to change um, nationwide. Um, and I think once we've got a really nice test bed and really nice um, playground for junior members of staff to, to um, try new things, you know, slightly risky things or perhaps a risk on their time, obviously not risky to patients, um, then I think then we'll start to see better retention and that entrepreneurial sort of drive that I think um, we all want to see as, as CCIOs and, and associates. Brilliant. Thank you, Michael. Um, Max, what are your thoughts? I think James picked out a key point in his question, which is how do we offer pathways? Because I think like as I think many of us probably did on this call. We landed in the CCIO role kind of almost by by accident, you know, showed a bit of interest in digital and then an advert for a CCIO came out and, and you know, us lucky few were appointed. But actually, there's no real pathway either before or beyond that as it stands in the current NHS. And whether that's for doctors or for nursing staff or for allied health professionals, and I think it applies to everyone, uh, it's really important that there is a progressive way that you can move through that, gain experience and aspire to progress. And I think that's what's lacking. Obviously, there's, there's structural challenges to... Uh, doctors in particular with the way that rotations are set up it's very difficult to gain any sort of continuity because you rotate between hospitals you rotate between regions but actually maybe that needs to be part of the doctor's cv that gets built up so that when you do transfer to another organization you bring with you those transferable skills that are then recognized at the receiving organization and it can be you know, incorporated into that that structure and there's maybe something that the, the faculty of clinical informatics can do there to help develop that um, so that we have some sort of recognised progression uh, that, that supports doctors as, as we move through. Obviously, for substantively appointed staff, you can develop yourself within a single organisation and make the contacts, uh, and that makes it easier. But we still then need to look at what happens when you, you come to the top. Where are you going with this, with this career pathway? And, and I don't have the answers. Um, I think we all sort of know filter into a bottleneck, as, as you always do in any organisation. And, and I'm not quite sure where we go from there. Brilliant. There were some great points there, James. Does that answer your question? Have you got anything else to add? Yeah, well, just on that that last point, I mean, I think I think that's the thing. It's both ways. It's 
because we're seeing this, you know, we're seeing a cadre of CCIO people, a little bit like myself to some extent, who've been on this for about seven, eight, nine years, and you are immediately thinking, well, I've got, you know, X number of years left, and in the old, in mental health in the old days, you got to retire at 55, and I'm sorry to tell you that's not the case any longer. So you've got a career to plan out, and you think, well, I don't want to, and I've invested a lot of time in digital health. I don't want to leave it behind. On the other hand, where am I going to go next? I mean, yes, I could go back to mainstream medical management, I suppose, but that doesn't feel like I'd be able to make the most of it there. And so then where? I mean, there's a lot of debate over the years. Well, should there be CCIOs on boards, for example? Should it be an executive position? We've not seen that happen yet. That might be one route. The other route, I think, I mean, I think uh, Mike's already mentioned industry, is what are the opportunities for industry? And again, in the NHS, often the idea of going to work for industry is often seen as being something you shouldn't do. But to be honest, if we're going to get good quality, quality products, then we need people in industry. I mean, I was with a supplier today and, you know, things that seem obvious to us working it are not obvious at all to suppliers. Uh, and they sometimes spend a lot of time and effort developing products that actually nobody wants, which is a shame. So I think there should be room for us to move in and out of industry, actually, and share all the expertise we have between both sectors. Perfect. Any final thoughts before we move on? Great. So, Yat, would you like to talk us through your question, please? Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, we've talked about talent. We've talked about pathways and career pathways. And certainly that, that's something which, um, as, as someone who has, I guess, ended up in, in this field, uh, has, has in some ways hopped upon it, but you could argue by accident. Um, but then, um, obviously, it's quite important to understand how we can sort of move things forward for those that are behind us. And, and to nurture those that are going to be the new sort of digital leaders. And, and uh, so, I mean, obviously, I've been fortunate enough to um, to be part of the TOPO program uh, and, and obviously with the Digital Leadership Academy as well. These are all ways in which one can, I guess, build one's experience. But it's not open to everyone. And because obviously there's a limit as to how many people can be on the program at one time. But then it's about how can we build those leaders who can have those opportunities as well. So my question was really, should and how can more clinical IT roles in an organisation and across the ICS be supported and the profile raised to the equivalent of traditional clinical roles? Because it's about clinicians, so clinicians of all professional backgrounds, not just doctors, nurses, it's HPs, pharmacists, these are our clinicians. So these are the clinical roles. So yeah, how, how can they be supported and the profile raised? Thank you, Yat. Um, okay, Michael, would you like to kick us off? Sure. So um, it's, it's an interesting um, question, really. And I think it relates back to what Max was saying is that you can't actually, oh, I, I, I can't really I kind of can pinpoint how I fell into this role, but um, I started out as a, a digital communication fellow for which I actually wrote the job description for because that's what I wanted to do because I saw there was a need. And I think unless you're the get up and go kind of person to do that, you don't know about the opportunities or the the, the profiles or the potential budgets that might be available to, to, to fall into such roles. So, I mean... Derby is a really good example of the place that does it well. They have what they call a digital clinical team, which is made up of physios, nurses, um, ACPs, um, clinicians, myself. Um, so and and they will uh, floor walk. They will talk to people. They will support people with their um, uh, software needs. And I guess that's an organic way of, of, of learning about the digital clinical team within a trust. 
but there is a disconnect between the training programs, much like the Topple Fellowship that you mentioned. You know, the it's the same with medical leadership and management, right? There's loads of, of, of more and more um, coming through. Um, but then how do you fall into a role at the end of that? It's kind of like you've done, you've ticked the box. It's probably going to help with your clinical work uh, from a CPD perspective. But actually, where are you taking that? Again, is that, and we don't, we want to see that they're being utilised effectively because we don't want people doing fellowships for the sake of a, a clinical role, we hope that one day they'll be able to then have that hybrid role and and we retain that talent and we um, fill that post. So I think um, ultimately, I think we hope, I hope, I mean, I don't know what the solution is to the, to the question, but I hope that in a post-pandemic world or, you know, thereabouts, um, hopefully we will start to see um, more uh, adverts, you know, perhaps perhaps having um, digital um, officers at board level. I think again, James is a, is a great thing that I think we may see more of, given the the the, the transformation that we're seeing. Um, and with that, we should see a, a trickling down of you know um, supportive roles that that will then support that that work stream in the same way that we have medical directors and we have operational directors. We should see um, a digital hierarchy. You know what I mean in terms of more cascading jobs that then support that that pathway. Perfect. Thank you, Michael. And um, Max, what are your thoughts? I think it's really refreshing to hear from Michael about the the approach in Derby of that digital informatics. Know that digital clinical team. Um, in my experience, I think we still need to have a, a fundamental shift in the attitudes of organisations. Um, I think still I, I hear that boards are not really fully grasping the importance of digital and the fact that digital underpins everything that happens in in modern healthcare. Uh, you can't escape it. However hard you try, we're not delivering clinical care, but we are supporting it. And that is not recognised by boards. I think it's very easy to focus on on, on you know, things which directly affect patients and overlook digital. And when it gets to SIP, say, oh, well, we can lose a bit of budget from, from IT, when actually that's it's quite the wrong approach. And I think that's what we've really got to you know, start to accept the digital. It's like you know, the, the fourth service that you know, you know you've, you've got your, your water, your electricity, your gas, your broadband, you know, in hospitals, we need to have IT being viewed as an essential service that needs to be funded appropriately and supported with personnel and equipment. And I think that's what we need to do to de develop uh, the, these clinical roles and, and support them. Thank you. James, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think and one of the difficulties is that there are not clear expectations set for organisations you know, about what, what they should have. I mean, and there are big gaps. I mean, the, the, the attitude of the regulator, the CQC, they are absent really on this particular issue. And my experience, um, you know, is that the, the organisation doesn't really understand how clinical record systems, what they, how they work and how they operate within hospitals. So, you know, there should be regulatory uh, compliance advice that says you must have roles of, you know, this type, you must have a certain structure, because unfortunately, that's the sort of thing that, you know, that trust take notice of, you know, when the regulator starts saying something, everyone takes notice. Um, and although you'd rather not have it that way, I think there is a very important role for regulators in this. That's one thing. Um, the second thing is about, you know, organisations implementing this in a consistent manner, because I mean, I, as I know, across our networks, you know, you have everything from people full time in roles with whole teams of people through to the other end who are doing it on no dedicated time at all, with maybe a bit of extra money if they're lucky and no staff and that yeah, they're expected to be full thing and, you've, and everything in between. And that cannot be right. You know, again, there, there should be a, you know, established understanding of what you need to have, because these tools, you know, again, it's we've gone from it being the IT department in the hospital basement with a big computer 
computer and lots of green screen monitors, this being an essential clinical tool. It's the one of the few things that pretty much every member of staff in the hospital uses every day. Um, and yet we don't have, you know, in many cases, sufficient staff allocated towards it. I think, and I think as people have said, the diff it's a differential between IT, which is a technical department, which is designed to provide, and then the sort of clinical application of those tools. And much like you wouldn't expect the medical engineering department to tell you how to clinically use a blood pressure device or something, you expect them to make it work. And it's the same here. You know, the IT department do a great job in providing tools and equipment and making everything work. And then it, there's a need for the clinical people to then dictate and design how those tools are applied in practice. Um, and it's just not fair and reasonable to expect an IT department to do that. And, and when that has happened, as we've seen high profile failures, it, it just doesn't work out. Um, so I think that's what we need. And then again, and I think others have said, I think boards are not fully cited on this at all. You know, a lot of them regard digital projects as that. They're one-offs. You know, we did the implementation in 2015. Well, that was it. The job was done then and we move on. Um, and that's clearly the wrong way to think about it. I mean, I've often talked about planning for the war being the implementation and but not planning for the peace being what you do afterwards because everyone just assumes that once you've done it, everything will be wonderful. But you've got to keep going and that's where the work begins, actually. And getting boards to understand that, they've spent this big amount of money, but if they're going to make anything close to the value out of it they've got to continue investing and that's a difficult a difficult message to hear sometimes but that's what needs to be heard perfect thank you james um yeah oh sorry max you've got your hand up there welcome to you i mean that's just to to chime in on the end of that really is that i think boards and, and certainly finance particularly look at the sunk costs of digital and and want to know how it's going to wash its face and and i think it's a realization that it, it doesn't generally i don't think digital generally makes a return it doesn't balance the books it's a sunk cost that you need to spend and keep on spending to provide modern healthcare. and it's that that shift and and perhaps we need to become more uh, you know, more wise in how we measure the benefits of digital um, at, at board level to understand that you know you make back your savings if you will in terms of quality of care for our, our patients our citizens um, and and in terms of staffing, happiness and well-being as well, there's a whole raft of very intangible benefits, which are really important to an organisation. Uh, and we just don't have a way of measuring them as on, a, on a balance book. And that's where we're falling down. It's obviously a good question, yeah, because James and Michael both have their hands up here. So yeah. we'll go to you first, James, you got there Thank first. You. Yeah, I mean, it's just to echo that point, I think this may well be something to do with the way that finances are, particularly in the NHS, is everything has to boil down to a you know, calculated benefit on a spreadsheet somewhere, or it feels like that. And certainly when you're doing business cases, you have to convert everything back into you know, return on investment, literally, and numbers. And it is very difficult to do that. And I think, you know, often we're kind of you know, almost tempted into sort of uh, an academic exercise in generating numbers that we know aren't really going to happen. Because what, what we're trying to get across, as Max said, was this is about improving quality of care. I mean, actually, prescribing systems are a good example of this. You know, they do not save money. And in fact, if anything, they usually make jobs more difficult because they make you do it properly. Um, you know, scribbling a prescription on a piece of paper is quick and easy, but it's prone to error, inaccurate, and the patients get a bad deal. But working through it properly on a system will may initially take you a bit longer, but you get a quality output. And I think what we're having to sell to people is that if you like internally is that this this is, this is going to cost money but it's going to deliver better quality and that's what we're supposed to be in the business of doing um and getting that message across is difficult and i think sometimes the structures that we have particularly in nhs don't help us with that brilliant michael what are your thoughts um i think it's really interesting because i agree but i also disagree i think anything that we buy has to cost less 
than the value add. And I think we've both sort of said that the that, that both James and Max have said, you know, that the value is in the quality of the care that we provide and the way that we deliver the care, the efficiency of the care. It's an interesting point because I think we do need to be better at trying to capture. I know no one wants to try and capture that data because it's astronomically big and it's lots of numbers and, you know, we don't have the resource for it. But, you know, most of these products that are getting uh, are being procured have had some real world evidence. And, you know, there's numbers there that they should be saying, you know, yes, it's costing you X, but it's saving you Y percent. And I think we need to be better at appreciating that because I think we improve the adoption. We improve the culture around digital. We improve the way that, uh, you know, um, clinicians will engage or healthcare professionals widely will engage with it because they will know that it's making their time, their, their processes X times faster. Um, so I think obviously this isn't going to solve a problem. That, this is a problem that isn't going to be solved overnight. But if there is a better way that we can monitor KPIs and and visualize data and visualize the, the improvement of data more specifically, um, which obviously is happening a lot more now with advanced data analytics and dashboarding, uh, you know, we may get to a position where actually we can say, Do you know what, this is saving us perhaps not money, but it's improving quality and therefore that's saving this much um, uh, time and, and, and money to a point where we actually say, well, this is a cost-effective uh, procurement. <laughs> I mean, it's a long way off, but here's to hoping. James has got his yeah, hand up, so back, yeah. back to you. <laughs> it is a bit of a ch I, I just think we need to get away from the language. You know, again, it, talking about procurement and cost and savings, it's all very well, but I mean, certainly as far as staff are concerned, you know, staff will have the staff are going to be there, and they're not. And most staff do not have idle time that suddenly release. I mean, we had this experience again with with, with electron prescribing was a good example. I know that staff are not doing writing sitting around writing drug charts all day like they used to they're not doing that now they're doing other things instead but they're not doing any less work you know so we can say yes we've saved x number of hours of time but it's very difficult to put a a number on that that actually means anything you know it's a, become a paper exercise and again and i i don't have this i mean the time is a long time ago now but i had this i went in naively to the board if you like thinking i could say well look guys this is going to really make things better but of course that wasn't good enough because the numbers didn't, and that felt like the wrong argument came. So we had to kind of work on producing the numbers. But actually, the reason for doing it wasn't about the numbers. It was about delivering a better standard of quality. Uh, but you know, that's not always enough. And I know it's hard to demonstrate. And maybe what we really need is better ways of demonstrating benefits that don't involve boiling it down to money and time saved and hours saved. Because you know that doesn't ultimately. And I, I don't. I, mean, I never worked in the private sector, really. And, I, I don't, and maybe it's the same there. But sometimes I think some or private sector organizations have a bit more freedom to say, well, this is the right thing to do for our business, if you like. And I think sometimes that's what we need to be saying in hospitals this is the right thing for our business, and we should be doing it. Um, and right, without getting too worked up about exactly how all the numbers stack up. And that may be idealistic, but I think there's room for it. Brilliant. Michael, have you still got your hand up? Or? Sorry, that's just a... Oh. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, so there's been some interesting points there. Do, what are your well, thoughts? Uh, well, well, first, firstly, th thank you for the um, additional follow-on questions <laughs> as well. It's been really insightful as, as well. Um, I, I think I think the point made about quality uh, as as the sell, as it were, to push the um, these clinical roles forward and the, the, the I guess, the importance of digital um it is really really important really because um I, I think what it shows that is is that there are some things that simply cannot be measured or quantified uh, in a way that is monetary um and and it's really important to emphasize the the clinical i guess involvement uh, in in these uh, digital transformations um that need to take place um as already has been highlighted digital is part of norm which is how we deliver modern healthcare. 
So I think what, what we're all kind of agreeing in, in a way is that um, we do need to make this happen. Um, obviously, we've got to think about how we're going to make it happen. Um, there is a role for regulatory bodies to examine certain areas so that we can kind of um, help support this to happen at pace. Uh, and I think it very much involves the engagement of clinical staff um, to make it happen at, at more, more pace as well. So that being the end users, and, and that's really important to how we can move things forward. Brilliant. So, so great thank question. you for your question. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that was great. Um, okay, so Matt, we're going to come to you next. Could you pose your question to the group, please? Yeah, so I, I've had discussions offline with Yatta around this already, but it's a subject that's close to my heart as, as we evolve and, uh, and you know, develop more of the ICS approach to healthcare, which is as we move towards more integrated working and, and particularly centralised funding, so many more funds seem to be coming centrally now with offers of fund matching, etc., always has that rider on it doesn't it now, how can we optimize cooperation and strategy between our neighboring trusts because I, i'd love to know how we can do it better brilliant james can we come to you first please uh yes so i, mean, I think thing actually what's different i mean the trouble is those with long memories will sometimes say well we've seen all this before you know and there is a temptation to do that having said all of that i think from a tech point of view we do have some changes now and the big thing i think is the coalescence around shared care record systems now obviously a declaration of interest i'm a clinical lead for the shared care record in the west midlands um and obviously i think these things are a good idea but it is interesting because i mean up until now we could talk all about integrated working as much as we like but with the absence of a common platform it's a waste of time you know the places that have managed it have been maybe like bradford where all the gps and the hospitals and everyone are all using the same systems you've got a shot at it there but in somewhere like birmingham where you had half the gps on one system half the gps on the other that all the hospitals mental health everything using different do different systems it's all very difficult to do any meaningful um you know joined up working without it but all of a sudden now we do have the infrastructure at least to hold, hold data in common and to see what each other are doing and i think with that it offers you a chance to do it i mean it's not the solution on its own but it gives it's an enabler um so if you can start and of course then the hard work really is constructing you know w meaningful cross-organizational pathways and then building the system to support them and then getting people to use them but at least you've got the you've got a, a route to it so for example you know one, one obviously the end of life pathways i think people have talked about a lot in various areas have tried to make that work with respect forms and so on but so long as those exist on pieces of paper or word documents or things on systems it's never going to really work well um, so in London, you know, they had the coordinate my care system for a while in parts of London, which had the aim of providing a, you know, a universal end of life care plan, which had some impact. And I think we can start to see that happening with shared care records where you move it out of the local systems. And it does require, you know, each organisation to cede control. It does require a willingness to work collectively and actually say, well, this particular thing is actually not going to sit with any trust. It's going to sit inside the shared care record and we all work off it. So although it's a simple bit of technical infrastructure, I think that's the glue that we need to make this work. But then you still obviously need the clinical willingness and the willingness between organisations to work like that, which is which is also a challenge. Thanks, James. Michael? I think James has actually answered a lot of my answer because I was going to say, you know, the shared care records, particularly Derby, Derbyshire's shared care record, um, has changed a lot in the way that we manage patients. And I think the more that we move to uh, managing patient data based on where the patient is and not where the, the hospital is, which sounds crazy, right? But that's how we currently operate. I think we'll start to see an improvement. I think in terms of, um, so I'm going to spin my answer a little bit to, to more sort of organizational level. 
It's a really difficult one because how do we better coordinate work and operations from trust to trust or from hospital to hospital? Because, I mean, that's something that obviously Derby and Burton have been, since their merger, have been uh, working on for, for some time. And um, they, they've managed to, to get it right by sort of effective communication channels, you know, meetings. And uh, and I think what we do run the risk of is having meetings for meetings sake. And I think it's about how do we more effectively um, coordinate these um, these uh, communication channels to actually share care, um, align care, because I don't think we're going to be, like, like James said, um, it's going to be very difficult to align systems um, given how many systems are available. So, um, yeah, I mean, how, how do we optimise that? I, I, I don't know how easy that is going to be at organisation level, but certainly um, if we can centralise the data storage or at least, you know, sort of um, delocalise de that data storage, then I think we're getting to a position where we can actually um, have easier access to patient records and therefore um, share that responsibility and share that care um, across an ICS. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Um yeah, it's 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 a. Re I mean, as as Max has said, we've we've had lots of offline conversations about this very topic as as well. I mean, it, it's funny, but it it's quite. I mean, what seems to be simple um, can be difficult. It's about having those conversations. It's about aligning kind of um, where we can work together, and I guess also declaring where it, things are difficult or challenging. Um, and I guess it's around evolving a kind of an overall strategy and, and vision. It might be quite high level um, and not dwelling too much on the finer details, um, but at least it starts a conversation and allows that ability to cooperate. Um, I mean, the shared care record is an example where I see that there has been a lot of working together around how to sort of get to a common sort of kind of endpoint. Um, some of the other projects that uh, Max and I have been involved in, obviously it revolves around looking at what is commonality, what would we like to sort of see without the specifics around the exact systems that we might need, because as has already been mentioned, we do operate on different kind of starting positions and different infrastructure, and that there is a lot to be said around convergence of around systems, um, bringing people closer together, which means that they're less further apart, which means there is potential to work closer together and cooperate and, and bring about common strategies. And, and that's, that's a, I guess, a different way of thinking or a different approach to solving very much the same problem. Um, and yeah, it, it's um, with, with, um, with the way in which see how budgets are centralized, it's, it's even more vital that we sort of think that way, um, because if we can get closer together, in, in many ways, we're leveling up and that way we can also achieve our kind of common goals eventually thanks thanks yeah okay max is there anything you'd like to add yeah well i think where i i come at this this is uh, this is a topic that's really close to my heart i think historically the way the nhs was set up with the discrete funding models foundation trusts we were all islands and we were all a little bit in competition with each other and breaking down those barriers i think is the key to this i mean i think shared care records definitely are a part of that but i think it actually sits at a higher level than that it's the it's the link and again i think ccios have a big role to play in this because i think we can cooperate and collaborate between our organizations and whilst our boards may not always be fully aligned with what they think is their priorities i think it's down to us to be reporting that back to board to say that this is where we are this is the state of play across now the black country for example this is where we're trying to get to leveling up is a phrase that i i've got noted down because i think that's really important we you know there are different priorities because we're all at different stages on that journey. 
But actually, if we look at what's needed across the patch, we can really make a big difference. Now, I have clinicians who are working at Wolverhampton. They're working in Walsall. They're working at Dudley. We have a, a black uh, black country vascular network. So they want to be able to have interoperability. They want to be able to see their patients at a, another hospital, but then come bring them back to another one and operate on them there. How do we get to that place where we have these systems linking up and talking so that they're not duplicating efforts, so they're not having to carry around three different laptops? Um, you know, that would just make my life easier because they'll stop whinging at me. But it's really, it is important from their perspective. And, and I think that's we've got to have a look at it from that viewpoint of, a willingness to cooperate, which I think needs developing and needs active engagement from everyone to say, yeah, let's let's look at the big picture. Let's not just look at what feathers my own nest. And that's a really important you know, shift in how our outlooks have been historically. And I think we're getting there, but I think we need to look at that in a really sort of you know, open spirited approach to, to move it forward. Thank you, Max. OK, Michael, we're going to come to you now for the last question. Brill. Um, so my question is, how do we enable the wider workforce to better engage with IT teams? <laughs> um, so it's it's a massive topic, isn't it? I'm quite glad it's at the end because I think it's, I mean, to me, communication and engagement is kind of the golden thread that that, that, that threads through everything we do as um, digital clinical teams and, um, and uh, CCIOs, CIOs and uh, associate deputies and uh, everything in between. So um, that was the rationale behind how do we actually um, get the wider workforce engaging with us. Brilliant, thank you. So, Yat, I'm going to come to you first. Thank you. Um, okay, so, so I, I think um, I think the, the we've got many clinical systems, clinical IT systems, and um, obviously they they are sort of operating, and clinicians are sort of using them. Uh, one of the important things is seeking feedback and seeking um, I guess input around those systems, particularly around the implementations and upgrades associated with it, and also seeking feedback around how they could be better improved. With the newer implementations, see that there is a more focus around clinical safety cases and, and the clinical safety officer role, and therefore there is a more formalised approach to it, and, and certainly that helps to engage the workforce even further around digital being part of a that there's a role and how it can improve quality and safety um, as as we kind of move for further um, that there's a greater reliance around data and information as well and, and many of the systems that we do operate um, do allow for information around quality and quality assurance to be captured and, and reported upon and, and certainly that is another sort of approach that can be used to help with engaging um, clinical staff and, and to in, in many ways um, to reduce the gap or the divide that exists between IT and clinicians. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, we've not mentioned about the CCIO role, uh, wherein I, I use the clinician as in both doctor, nurse, AHP, pharmacy. Um, and, and certainly that that's a very important role to, to, um, to kind of um, help steer the engagement as well. And there is a role there for us as, as CCIOs to engage with the workforce, um, to get those conversations, to reduce the divide and to help in, in some ways um, get greater engagement. And, and, we, and, and one of the approaches that have taken, for instance, at Wolverhampton is around um, you, um, engaging with the quality team um, and building that um, wider engagement there. Because, I mean, IT is not necessarily considered to be something that is inclusive to the clinical workforce, whereas 
quality improvement can be. And you've already talked about quality improvement projects uh, as well. And, and because digital is part of how we practice healthcare, um, it then helps to become more engaging to the workforce. And, and, and so, yeah, that, that, that is one way of um, enabling that engagement with IT. Thank you. Um, James, I'll come to you. Yes, thank you. I mean, I think this is the biggest problem I think I face day by day in my, CC, my CCO role, really. Um, it's one of these things, it, it, it's funny how it happens when there's an implementation going on and things are new. Everyone wants to know, everyone wants to come as an opinion, everyone wants to talk about it. But the biggest enemy of all this is the kind of apathy that sets in after a few years. When in, when the system, like the clinical systems become like any other system, become like Microsoft Windows or Word or anything else. And it's very difficult to get people to engage the idea that things can be different. It's not, this is not the only way it is. There are routes to improve, there are routes to develop, there are routes to do new things. Um, and getting people to believe that and then act on it is, is, is quite hard. And the only way you can really, and this is where you know, we talk about CTIO roles, but their main job is being is about communication. You don't have to necessarily understand the technical stuff, but you do have to be able to communicate and understand and get alongside people. And that's really hard to do, particularly for all of us working generally in quite large organisations. You know, I mean, my you know, my trust sprawls all the way across the city of Birmingham in 50 odd different sites from, you know, Erdington in the north down to Rubri in the south and, and even to drive from one site to another takes an hour. So it's difficult, you know, and and the only way I think and the way I've tried to do it and I haven't, you know, I haven't got all the answers by any means is to just pick things off and look for people who've got problems and find ways to solve them. That's the best way. And that's what we've been trying to say to the st our staff at large is don't tell us what's wrong with the IT. Tell us what your problems are and let's look at marshalling the various things that we've got and provide solutions to them. And that's a new way of thinking. So it sounds obvious, but the number of times people have come to me and say, well, I need to buy such and such a product or I've got to, oh, I want Rio, I want Rio, which is our system to do this. And I say, well, maybe you do, but let's think about what your need is. Um, and I think that's the way to do it. And it's, it's easier said than done, I know. And you need more workforce than most of us have got. But I think that's the route. And once you can start to demonstrate success and other people see it, then you will be able to build on that. But it needs investment and it needs time. But that's that's my approach. Thank you, James. Max, I saw that you were agreeing with some of those points there. What are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I was I was really smiling with the point about, you know, come to me with what your problem is, not what your solution is. Because I think, you know, as clinicians, we are very much focused on coming up with a solution. And everyone comes to me with the solution. And then you have to take it back to actually what's the problem because what your proposed solution might look on the surface like it's going to be successful so many times it actually creates many other problems and it's much better to engage with the it teams and 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 pose the problem and then draw upon the expertise of, of it and digital to say well these are your options no does this work does this work? does this work and let's build it together coming back to the, the sort of the, the the wider question i i'm kind of in the throes of that over and over again because it I think it comes down to kind of almost education of the workforce and drawing up a contract with the workforce as to what is going to happen how do we help you you know what what is the process by which we're going to scope out a project we're going to design it we're going to configure it we're going to do functional testing on it we're going to do UAT on it UAT is not let's design it again it's does this fulfill the original scope and educating the, the clinical workforce about what the process is so that we have an efficient, safe delivery of a, of a programme is really important. Um, I'm working really hard to develop clinical champions within within the organisation. We have a, a digital pharmacist uh, who was, you know, the pharmacy were heavily involved in our EPMA rollouts back in 2018 in the midst of COVID and having that really close working relationship with pharmacy 
was fantastic. It was a really rewarding project, project, and we've got a really good you know, relationship now where there's a digital pharmacist who can feed directly in to digital and into IT, and it makes such a difference. We're working to get a digital midwife doing the same role uh, for our you know, maternity uh, EP, you know, branch of our EPR. It's vital to get that information syndicated out and that knowledge syndicated out into departments so that there's ownership within the, the clinical roles rather than it being IT and our IT are slow or they never fix it or they don't understand. It's getting that knowledge of how our systems work out there into the wider clinical community, which means that we can have much more meaningful engagement and it's much more rewarding for for you know, staff from all sides of the equation. Perfect. Thank you, Max. Yats, you've got your hand up. Yeah, um, I mean, to, to, to build on obviously the, the workforce itself, um, there is a role for training, uh, for sure, um, and certainly should, I mean, there, there shouldn't be something that precludes it to those that have qualified um, or are in doctors in training as, as, or, or nurses who are in training, so it can even occur before that. Um, I, I think the, the understanding of what digital can achieve um, is quite important to be um, sort of shared, um, and it, it's quite important to try to um, in, in ensure that uh, people understand what, what is feasible. And, and as Max has said, it, it's around the problem as opposed to the solution, um, because um, the solution may not be necessarily practical uh, or feasible, um, but certainly the problem it, and understanding the problem it is very important. And, and um, for obviously for people that are um, can look at things in a different way, that that's really helpful because they, they can see the um, the problem from a different angle and, and being able to share that um, it is very um, engaging as, as well. And it can help to guide what, what we can do in the future as well. Thanks. Yeah. Michael, does that answer your question? Absolutely. Yeah, I think there's some really uh, sort of enlightening points there, particularly for myself, who's fairly new to this role, I think, obviously. Um, having uh, the solution, obviously, usually you say don't come to me with a problem without the solution, but actually you're right, people solutionize before they've even established the problem. And I think um, if we can better make it, if we can make it better for, for people to approach with, you know, a problem, uh, then perhaps we might see a better relationship with the wider workforce because, you know, certainly, um, you know, that is one of the things that, that we've seen as, a, you know, as a blocker, people don't want to uh, engage with um, continuous because tra training is good, right? But then it's like, okay, we've changed this workflow now. So now you've got to retrain and it's like, we're so busy in our day jobs as clinicians or healthcare professionals, we don't have time to pick up additional training. And then you want me to download Microsoft uh, Teams on my phone and now I'm gonna get pinged notifications even when I'm not at work. And it's like the communication channels, the, the, it's it's obvious why um, that that sort of engagement is, is so difficult to, to not only get, but then retain. Um, but I think if we could have a better relationship um, or ad advance that relationship with um, the workforce to be able to say to them, come to us with problems. We've probably got a solution for you that you didn't even know already existed. I think that's what we end up getting to, right, is have you tried this system which we already have in place rather than buying something new? So I think they're the kind of conversations I'd like to be having more of. Uh, and I think that was really interesting. Sorry, Max. Well, just to add to that is that if someone comes to you with a solution, what I tend to find is that you're setting yourself up for conflict at that point, because we'll usually say, no, we can't do that. And already <laughs> you're on the back foot. Exactly. <laughs> Whereas yeah. actually it's much more collaborative when they come with a problem and you say, okay, let's work that through. 
and uh, you know it just makes everything easier and if we can get the workforce to that that point of understanding it becomes so much more constructive um, and and you know takes away that uh, that friction that we so often get yeah. brilliant right then well there were some very interesting points there is there anything that anyone would like to add before we conclude you're all talked out <laughs> that was fantastic thank you um well, yeah, thank you for joining me. Thank you for giving me your time today. Uh, it's been a fantastic discussion.